as everybody gets situation, good e- situated. Good evening. Hopefully you made it through your battle so far that for this week. And um, Pastor Mike just is just getting back from his pastoral conference. Normally at the beginning of the month, first Wednesday or Sunday, depending on the month, we do a um, we do communion. We'll be doing that next Wednesday. So if you're looking forward to that, we will still be doing that. But it'll be next Wednesday. Mike will be leading us on that. But as I was talking about um, battles. You know, we were. We see battles every day. We see battles being fought in our schools, in social media, communities, and even our churches. And that's kind of the topic we're going to be looking at. But the battles seem to be a lot over, over truth and what truth is. Um, as we shared just as the, the Bible verse I shared just before um, worship, um, talking about, you know, from Hebrews, talking about the blood that was shed. And we're talking about, of course, Jesus. Um, as we read, we're going to read from John 18, as we read that, we have to remember that Jesus did all of this. He's going to go through everything that he goes through of his own free will. He knew what was coming up, and he knew what was he was going to have to do. He knew all the things that was going to happen to him. He still chose to do that. So but before we start reading, let's go before and pray and, uh, and, and lift this time to him. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time, Lord, a time of fellowshipping in your word, Lord, and uh, just remembering you, Lord, and applying it to um, tr- applying your truths to our lives um, today, Lord. So we just lift up this time to you, Lord. We thank you for your word. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in John 18, and we're starting 28. And I'm going I'm to read through. We'll see how we go. We'll see how far we get. But um, I might get carried away and read more. But we're going to read from, from John 18, 28 through probably about 38. We'll see how we, where, where we land. Um, but John 18, 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium, and it was early in the morning, but they themselves did not go into the Praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusations do you bring against this man? And they answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. They didn't really answer his question, did they? They asked him what the, the crime was. They really didn't answer it. They gave him a non-answer. But let's continue reading. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. 
Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. And I'm going to keep reading because I want to. <laughs> a couple more verses. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on a, him a purple robe. And then they said, Hail the king of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out and again and again said to them, Behold, I am bringing him to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. And then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. I've added those last six verses. I was, that's kind of a game day decision. But I, I felt it really important to, for us to understand the fever pitch that the Jews were in with, with Jesus. When we, when we were talking about truth, the, the, my personal study that led me to, for, to this lesson was at 38. Pilate said to them, what is truth? That's a statement. And that's something we hear far too often today. People confused about what truth is. So one of the first things I think we need to understand, that's why I read all the way down to 6 and, and there are 19, is the Jews began with hating Jesus. That was their first step. They hated Jesus. And it's important to understand that how hatred will drive a man to ignore truth. They began by hating Jesus, but in a way they finished in a hysterical kind of hatred. Howling like animals, and I imagine teeth gnashing in bitterness, crucify him, crucify him. In the end, they reached such an insanity of hatred that it would be impossible for them to reason, to show mercy, mercy or even come to the common sense of humanity. And I, you know, That always kind of tickles the back of my neck when I hear people see, say common sense. Well, what does common sense come from? You know, where does, you know, how we should treat one another? What is that, where does that standard come from? Well, it comes from God. So when I, when I think, I like to especially atheists, when they say common sense, well, where, where does common sense come from? Nothing in this world warps a man's judgment as hatred does. Once a man allows himself to hate, he can neither think nor think nor see straight. He can't listen without being distorted. Hatred is a terrible thing because it takes a man's senses away. And that's the, the, the state, that's where the Jews started with Jesus. They hated him. And I think as we, we go further on in this lesson, I think we need to, we're going to start to see that and I'd be able to apply that to today and to understand today's world. The Jews also didn't hesitate to twist their charge against Jesus. In their own private examination, they, the charge they had formulated was one of blasphemy. They knew that Pilate would not move forward on a charge like that. He would have said it was their own private religious quarrel, and they could settle it as they liked without coming to him. And, and remember back in, uh, what, what verse was it? They, he asked what was their charge, and they said, well, he's, he's just... You know, we wouldn't bring him here if he wasn't guilty of something, but they never answered what the charge was. You know, they're being disingenuous. They're, they're lying. They're being deceitful. In the end, the Jews produced was a charge of rebellion and political insurrection. They accused Jesus of claiming to be king, although they knew that their accusations were lies. Hatred is a terrible thing and does not hesitate to twist the truth. And you think about in our own lives, you know, when we get angry, when we really get angry, 
truth kind of goes out the window. Kind of goes, goes right out the door. We have to we instantly start paying attention to our flesh, our emotions, how somebody, you know, vexed us, how somebody, you know, hurt our feelings. Hatred will twist and, and, and make a person get rid of truth absolutely. And that's what the Jews were, how they were handling Jesus. That's, that's the core of it. The hatred of the Jews toward Jesus made them lose all sense of proportion or lose a sight of truth. They were so careful in the ceremony and the ritual of cleanliness that they would, neither, they would not enter Pilate's headquarters. But they were busy doing everything possible to crucify the Son of God. To eat the Passover, for example, a Jew had to be absolutely ceremonial clean. Now, if they had gone into Pilate's headquarters, they, they would have incurred uncleanliness twofold. First, the scribal law said that the dwelling places of Gentiles are unclean. And second, the Passover was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Part of the preparation for it was the ceremonial search for leaven and the banishing of every part particle of leaven from every house because it was a symbol of evil. To go into Pilate's headquarters would have been to go into a place where leaven might be found, and to go into such a place when the Passover was, was being prepared was to render oneself unclean. But even the Jews had entered a Gentile house which would have contained leaven. They would have been unclean until that evening. Then they would have to go undergo a ceremonial bathing after which they would have been clean. The whole reason why I brought that, I talked uh, brought that up is they paid attention to the ceremony of their churchiosity, as Pastor Mike puts it, but they threw love and fellowship and grace and all those other things when they're when they're sitting there in front of the Son of God, they threw all that right out the window. So their their their, their religion, their their practice, their their state of things was more important than truth. So now we see what the Jews are doing. They were carrying out details of ceremonial law with meticulous care, all the while, the same time, they were running the Son of God to the cross. And that's just kind of the vile thing that men are always doing. In many churches, in many churches members fuss about the smallest things and break God's law of love and forgiveness and service every day. Others will pay attention to every detail in church in regards to vestment, furnishings, ritual ceremony, uh, making sure that they attend to they are attended with that most detail, but in the cases of the spirit of love and fellowship are needed, it is absent. One of the most tragic things in this world is that how a human mind can lose its sense of proportion and its ability to put the first things first. And we can see examples of this all throughout society, in our own, in our own lives, within our families. You know, I, I can think as a parent, I can think of Ida's. I'm so stuck on the rules, you know, or as a teacher, so stuck on the rules that sometimes we lose sight of you know, the, the, the fellowship, the love, the mentorship, you know, of a young person, you know. Grace, you know, you think about the, the blood that was shed on the cross for us, you know, and do we, do we get so wrapped up in our, our traditions and, and our churchiosity that we forget those things? The Jews had lost every sense of the spirit of love. And why bring all that up about how the, why is it important to bring all that up, especially when we're talking about truth? It's important that, that we understand how the world is going to feel about you and how it's going to hate you, how we fail to, so easily. If you're going to be abiding in truth, living by the truth, and sharing the truth, it is important, important to understand what to expect from the world. 
in John 15, 18 through 19, it reads, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If you're choosing truth, the truth of Christ, you need to know what to expect. And now to, to 38, to Pilate's question, or rather a statement. Pilate asks a question of Jesus, but it really sounds like a rhetorical statement, a rhetorical question. Not really expecting an answer from Jesus, but really just a statement for a dramatic effect. Pilate has no idea to whom he is speaking. The man before him is the truth. Jesus is the living truth, the source of all truth, truth manifested in all its glory. Pilate knows only the world's truth. The world's truth is thought up in the minds of men. What is truth? It's such a political statement. And he's been dealing with the politics of both Roman and Jewish officials for many years, and he had likely figured out that what is considered true to some is not for others true. And isn't that true today? When you think about what's true for me is not true for you, and my own personal truth, and the truth, the truth of the, the flavor of the day, or whatever. I mean, I, I think of social media and TikTok and things that are being lies that are being spread, and just everything that's going on in the world. Truth is getting blurred, and it shouldn't, but it's going to be, especially if you don't have the word. My truth. That when, when you hear my truth, that's just basically what makes me happy, what keeps me from feeling judged. Whatever the motivation is, just look at the opposing groups who all passionately proclaim to be on the side of truth in politics, protesting over social issues, or even the best basketball player all the time. If you listen to both sides of the debate in any issue, you will likely end up jaded, just as Pilate is. And there is such, is there such a thing as truth? You know, it's one of the things, you know, it's important to be aware of what's going on in the world, but you also don't want to get so wrapped up in the world that you become jaded. We have to focus on, our, on the truth. Sometimes the truth is relative. It is, sometimes. Like what is hot, for example. I can think of a time when, being from Oregon, I took my family down to visit in-laws in Yuma, Arizona, right? May, it's 75 degrees, and they just filled their pool up. Me and my kids had a great time. It was hot, right? Everybody else looked at us like we were crazy, right? They, that 75 was cold in Yuma to them. But that's a, that's a relative truth, right? You know, we know it's hot down here in the south. Somewhere up north, it might be a little bit different. Relative truth is a belief that truth changes based on an individual's understanding of it. With relative truth, there are no absolutes. What may be true for you is simply not true for me. And then there is the absolute truth. The absolute truth is true regardless of how a person thinks or feels about it. Just like Pastor Mike says all the time, truth doesn't care about your feelings. He, he says that a lot. I'm sure there's a lot of thoughts of pastors that say that. Here's a uh, biblical example of absolute truth. Jesus is Lord, an absolute truth. Regardless of how you feel about that statement, it is true. Truth does not change and is not subject to human perspective or desires. In John 4, 1 John 14, 6, Jesus claims to be the truth. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And tells Pilate that he has come to testify to the truth. While we do see absolute truth in other places, Jesus is the ultimate truth. 
which all other truth stands. In Colossians uh, 1, 16-17, it tells us, For by him all things were created, that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is our creator our, and sustainer and the ground of all truth. And in the midst of the world, where truth seems to so, far, so hard to find, hold tightly to Jesus, the ultimate truth. Pilate is like so many people of this world today. They just don't have the willingness to learn the truth. In 2 Timothy 3, 7, always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Again, I think, I think of those kids. I, I spend so much time in high schools. I, the kids want to get a hold of their cell phones so badly and, and get on the, their, their, their app, the, the app flavor of the day. And most of, mo, almost all of it's lies. This warns us about false teachers in 2 Timothy. Their influence can, be, can also apply to uh, being aware of the world's influence on us. One of their target groups, as described, in the, is the weak-willed women. This verse is a, a portion of his description of these women, but it could just as easily apply to many others, all of us. Paul's charge here is that they are always learning, but never come to the knowledge of truth. They are learning everything, but what is the most important is the ultimate truth, our Lord and Savior. Always learning. I, I, I would rather, I would, today I would say always being entertained. What are we putting in our eyes? What are we putting in our ears? always learning, but never come to knowledge truth. This is not an argument against learning. We should, we should all be learning throughout our lives. There is truth in much, and we can learn. I enjoy learning about sciences and technology and history, and there's truth in all of them, but the ultimate truth is found only in Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And in John 14, 6, unfortunately, many of those, many most seek their ultimate truth in countless places other than Jesus. They may look to the physical or social sciences to supply them with their truth. Um, they look to the many philosophies or religions of the world um, that men generate today, uh, new convenient truths that fit their lifestyles, or they find their truth through various media sources and other people. But no matter how much they seek, the truth in their source, the truth of those, of those sources, they will never find it there. Only Jesus, the source of all truth, will we come to knowledge? Of, will we come to the knowledge of truth? Always be sure that your truth that you seek, base your life on, is firmly grounded in the Lord Jesus. So where should we? Where should the, the, the truth we ought to be seeking? Where does it come from? Well, the Holy Spirit's one of them. The Holy Spirit is our guide to truth, and in John sixteen twelve through fourteen. It reads, I still have many things to say to you. This is Jesus speaking. But you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you in all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take, he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus has spent about three years teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God. The gospel keeps records for us, some of what he taught, taught them. And they also recorded the struggle the disciples often had under understanding what Jesus was trying to teach them. And here at the end, 
of their time together, he said he had much more to teach them, but it was much more that they could bear. But Jesus had a solution to that problem. When he left, he would be sending the Holy Spirit to them. And the Spirit of truth would guide them in all truth. And he would help them understand that Jesus had been teaching, what Jesus had been teaching them. He would also teach them other truths and that Jesus wanted them to learn. The importance of the Holy Spirit as a teacher was not limited to these first disciples. The Spirit of truth is our teacher as well. In 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 16, Paul tells us that much of our faith's truths appear foolish without the Spirit of God in our lives. The Spirit is our essential guide in understanding those truths found in the pages of the Scripture. We can trust that he will never teach us something contrary to Scripture, and he will always glorify Jesus in his teachings. So seeking his guidance as you read God's word and listen to the quiet voice of instruction. A thing we do need to be on guard about is letting compromise in human philosophies be part of the ultimate truth. God is the ultimate truth alone. In Colossians 2.8, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to basic criminals, principles of the world, and not according to Christ. I feel this is where a lot of churches are getting caught, chasing after false doctrine to please what is trending in society. They allow something that might be considered a minor issue in, in the word or in doctrine, and it's not minor. Nothing's minor in the word. If it's wrong, it's wrong. And then when you compromise on something minor, the floodgates are open, and now you're, you're completely backwards. We need to focus on the, the Bible as a source of the absolute truth. When Paul was writing a newly established church in Colossae, he was determined to help them maintain a consistent witness in their community. The Colossian church had started out well, and Paul commends them on their good order and steadfastness. You might think that if Paul was going to really help this church, he would continue on, to continue on the right path. He might talk to them about the church growth strategy or give them tips on the way they should interact with the community. But this is not what Paul did. He wanted the Colossians believers to be strong and rooted in the truth and light of God's word. Rooted in God's word. That's it. And it's really just a warning to, our, to, to us today in, in, in church and in, in our communities. If you allow human philosophy to infiltrate the biblical truth, then compromise and ultimately corruption will take place. And is that what we see throughout the world? The Bible claims that there is only one absolute truth. In Ephesians 1.13, if any other truth claim is accepted outside the Bible, then truth is compromised. And when the absolute truth of God's word is compromised, the church loses power. Notice I said church, not God. Right? The church, not God. God never loses power. And is no longer the pillar and, the, and grounded in truth. If the church loses truth, the church loses potency of its message. Darkness cannot illuminate darkness. And then we are to, we're called to illuminate, right? Human philosophy is not even required to know truth. If human philosophy agrees with God's word, then we don't need it. We already have God's word. We already have the truth. If human philosophy disagrees with God's word, then it's wrong and we don't need it. We don't need human philosophy. God's claim of absolute truth is so essential that man's idea should never intrude upon it. 
So then there's then begs the question, how do we discern truth? How do we as believers discern truth? We have to read God's word daily. Daily. Isaiah 8.20 says, To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. We must test every message we hear, every message we read, by comparing it with the word of God. And if the message is not in accord with the Bible, it must be rejected. The Bereans studied the scriptures each day to see if, to see if the things which Paul and Silas were telling them were true, and they scrutinized that they scrutinized that they were only to accept those things that were in accord with scriptures. We must practice reading the word. It must be part of our daily thing. Bible studies, your daily morning read, your reading after you, your, your lunch break. It, it has to be a part of your daily life. And we have to be with brothers and sisters. We have to be in fellowship because we have questions. I think about the Ethiopian and, and that story. Right, we got we got to be in fellowship. We got to be in, in, in Bible studies. And it doesn't have to be in church. It can be in your communities. It can be at your workplace. Be in fellowship. Another point is we got to keep it in our hearts. We have to keep Scripture in our hearts. And John, First John four four says, "You are God, little children." Or excuse me, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in this world. When a person is born again and meets the conditions of salvation, the Holy Spirit actually comes into the heart of a newly born child of God and lives there. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? It's almost unbelievable that God would come, that God would come live inside us but it is true. God does not dwell in earthly temples made with bricks and stones. God dwells in the cleansed temple of the human heart. God dwells in you. John said in, in, um, in verse 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. In, the world. in other words, the God, the Holy Spirit who lives in you is more powerful than the devil who reigns in the world. Sin is what hinders the filling of the Holy Spirit. And obedience to God is how filling of the Holy, Holy Spirit is maintained. Our obedience to God's commands allows the Spirit freedom to work within us. Because we allow sin within our lives, it is impossible to fill the Spirit out all the time. When we sin, we must immediately confess it to God and renew our commitment to being Spirit-filled and Spirit-led. If we want to be led by the Spirit, we have to be living by the Word. And when we sin, we have to confess our sins. We have to repent. Friend Kevin here always reminds us of that. Always got we always have to be repenting. And lastly, we have to ask God often for the, the ability to discern between good and evil. I ask for discernment all the time. And if you've ever been in kind of any kind of leadership position, you should be doing the same thing. If you're by yourself, you should be asking for discernment. Be praying for it. Charles Spurgeon has a great quote, and I'm sure you've probably heard this before, but discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. That's really important. Um, I, I've done the, the, the bit of going to college and getting a degree, and I've also taken trade skill tests. If you want to get a certification, you've got to take a trade test. I'll tell you, the, the tests for trade skill are much more difficult. And the reason is that... The, the options you get for answers are all right. All of them are correct. You have to pick the, the answer that's absolutely correct, or it's always correct. And that's the deal with you know, discernment. 
when we're talking about testing, you know, what somebody's saying, they have to be 100% correct. That's why I get I actually get nervous when I'm given the opportunity to come up here and share something. I do not want to be wrong. I want to be 100% correct by the Lord. I want this message or whatever I have to share to be of the Lord, not of me and my flesh. A discerning mind demonstrates wisdom and insight that go beyond what it is what is seen and heard. God's word is spirituality discerned to the human mind without without the spirit. The things of God are foolishness to the spirit that gives us spiritual discernment. If we don't have discernment, sometimes when we hear, if, if, if you talk about something to the Lord and you share something with like a non-believer, they're not going to have that discernment and it's going to sound foolishness because they just, they just don't know. And that's, I think, some, something that we lack as believers when we're sharing the gospel. We, we forget that, you know. And we have to, you know, baby walk, you know, give them baby steps and kind of, you know, start them out in crumbs. And then, and then we often like to start the deep dive on stuff. And we, we, I think we lose some folks. A discerning person will acknowledge the word of God's, the worth of God's word. In Proverbs 8, 8 through 9, all the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are faultless to those who have Knowledge, seeking discernment, is a goal for all who desire to walk righteously. And in Hosea 14.9, who is wise? He will realize these things. Who is discerning? He will understand them. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. And just in closing, we need to read God's word regularly. We have to hide it in our hearts daily and ask God often, with the gift which enables us to discern between truth and error. And that's in everything. That's just, it's not just with our brothers and sisters, that's with everything that the world throws at us. We need to pray like Solomon did in, in 1 Kings 3.9. And it reads, Therefore give to your servant an understanding, a heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. What is truth? The truth is the word, and we need to make sure we stick to it. We need to be prayerful, and we need to be seeking good, uh, be praying for discernment. Um, we got about ten minutes left here. Um, what we did, what we do here at Calvary Chapel Little Country is we allow about ten minutes of just intercessory prayer. If you're praying, uh, just loud enough for everybody to uh, hear one another and, and pray in agreement, and just try not to interrupt one another. Uh, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just said thank you for this time, Lord. Uh, most of all. Wow, we, we thank you for the blood that was shed on the cross, Lord. We thank you for the word that you left us, Lord. We thank you for the spirit, Lord, that teaches us, Lord. And we thank you for prayer, Lord, that gives us this avenue to speak to you directly. We need no others, Lord. So we thank you for these gifts, Lord. Uh, we lift up this time to you with prayer, Lord. And in your name we pray, amen.